0: Well, as you're making your way back to your seats, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn in a Bible, and we are again in Luke 18 this morning. Again, as you're finding your way to your seat, we are once again in Luke this morning, and we are continuing our journey through really the latter half of his gospel. We find ourselves again in Luke 18. Moving ahead this morning into verses 31 through 34. So again, Luke 18, 31 through 34. Hear this. It says, And taking the twelve, that is the disciples, Jesus said to them, And they did not grasp what was said. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God, it stands forever and ever. Amen. If you drive on the highway and you use uh, the GPS feature on your phone, you use Google Maps or Waze or Apple Maps, whatever it might be, then you'll know that one of the nice features is when that little icon will pop up on your GPS or on your map and it says speed check ahead. (laughs) If you're someone who doesn't always embody Christian sanctification as they drive, like myself, then that is a helpful tool. Speed check ahead. Or it might even say accident ahead. right? Hazard ahead. And again, if it says accident ahead or it says hazard ahead, then you have time often to detour in that moment or to seek an alternate route to where you're trying to get. And of course, if it says speed check, you also have time to take inventory, right? Quick inventory. Am I, am I buckled up properly? Are my kids, you know, buckled up? Am I in line? Am I compliant? How much do I need to let off the gas pedal in order to get to that magic number in time, right? Again, it's a helpful Feature Well, if you follow and have been following the terrain of Luke's gospel, then you'll know that this is the third time where Jesus has predicted his death. The third time. He did so twice earlier in the ninth chapter, and then now here in chapter 18, there's another time for Jesus to remind his closest followers or the disciples where it is at this journey, this GPS, if you will, where it's headed. Where exactly he is going, namely Jerusalem in this case, but in going there, what his ultimate goal is. And we've begun to see that through his encounters leading up to this point, but here is, again, a time where he is a little more overt in his message. But again, he has been leading his disciples through numerous personal encounters of healing and teaching up to this point, and we've, we've examined several of them. So we've looked at the, the rich ruler last week. We looked at his encounter with the children that were being brought to him. We looked at the Pharisee uh, in contrast to the repentant tax collector, and, and the widow in contrast to the... the egotistical or or arrogant judge and each encounter as we have seen has evidenced the kind of person who Jesus has in mind for this kingdom that he has come to bring. It's the poor in spirit not the self-assured. It's those with simple trusting faith not those who believe that they are self-made. It's the self-aware and the humble and the repentant, not the self-righteous or the pious. It's the empty-handed, not the prideful nor the prestigious. You see, he's been doing this now for for several uh, portions of Scripture. Again, this is all culminating in Luke's Gospel as they are journeying towards Jerusalem. But here in these verses, Jesus, again, a little more overtly, once again reminds them of the kind of kingdom he brings. If you want to think of the people that he has been encountering up to this point as the target audience of the kingdom, and I use that word, you know, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. We're not consumers, we're not selling anything, but I'm using it, again, as a way for us to kind of make that connection because we do live in a consumeristic society, okay, and there are target audiences, there's marketing firms and products being sold, so bear with me, but if you borrow that phrase and use it rightly for a minute, You can think of the people that he's been encountering up to this point as, again, the target audience, so to speak, of the kingdom. Who does it really belong to and who doesn't it? And again, the disciples have been scandalized the whole time because Jesus is challenging their assumptions of who they believe the kingdom actually belongs to and who it doesn't. And and again, they're shocked when they realize it's not who we think. It's not those who have it all together. It's not those who have... You know, the biggest bank account. It's not those who look together on the outside. It's often the poor in spirit. So again, we can think of these people up to this point as the target audience, if you will, of who the kingdom belongs to. But then here in these verses, this is now the the telos of the kingdom or the aim of the kingdom. Again, where is it headed? What is the mission statement and vision of the kingdom? What is the tagline for the bumper sticker of this kingdom, again, that Jesus brings? Well, as we know, if it was church today, the bumper sticker would need to be catchy. It would need to be kitschy, perhaps even. You know, tongue-in-cheek. It would need to be branded professionally and have the right... Logo. It would need to be maybe outside the box a little bit and edgy to show people that Christians are not just sticks in the mud, right? But we are normal people. You know, you can think again, and we're kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek here. Think about if this was today and we were putting bumper stickers on the disciples' cars, right? It would need to kind of fit these boxes. We're trying to sell something, it seems like, at times in the modern church. And yet here, again and again and again, Jesus fails to deliver on the disciples' expectations. And he fails even to deliver on some of our expectations, if we're honest, about what his kingdom is all about and what Christianity and our claim of the gospel is all about. It's as if Jesus, he's, he's hilarious in the gospels in, in some ways, it's as if, it's as if Jesus you know, never made his Toastmasters class that somebody signed him up for, right? He never read How to win, win Friends and Influence People, right? He failed to, to have that on his required, you know, reading list. It's as if Jesus, again, intentionally is trying to sabotage his own campaign and suck the air out of the room and be Debbie Downer, if you watch Saturday Night Live, an old character, right? Debbie Downer, okay, where just everything is humdrum and, Jesus, what's, what's, what's going on here? And yet, as we know, Far from Jesus being Debbie Downer, Jesus is being the realest of real. (laughs) He's being upfront and honest (laughs) and authentic with his disciples. They simply don't have the ears to hear it yet. And that's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me. Because if you think about it, people being their authentic selves is something that we claim to long for we want people to be the realest of real we want people to be authentic isn't that true none of us here like to be manipulated or or coerced none of us like to be sold or you know sold things to or 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 patronized or 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 lied to but what's the exception to that Except when things are hard. Or except when we are being asked to do something that's hard. To do something that gets us outside of our comfort zones or or challenges us. Except when we're being told things that we don't want to hear. And usually those things that we are being told are things we don't want to hear because they are challenging in that moment our preconceived notions about something. And that's exactly what happens sometimes. And I throw myself into this mix. Do not mishear me. I am with you. (laughs) We do this all the time, though, in the Capital C Church. And we do this all the time when it comes to Jesus. And this is exactly what the disciples are beginning to do in their journey, if you will, in this passage. But before it goes too far, and before they continue recklessly Barreling down the highway to Jerusalem, this is the passage where Jesus again does the speed check. This is the the, the gospel GPS popping up and saying, hazard ahead. Hazard ahead. Accident ahead. And the disciples are here, given the chance to detour. Given the chance, if they so choose to take an alternate route, if you want to think of it that way, to detour, to decide. And it's the same, really, for us. Whenever we encounter the Gospels, whenever we encounter Jesus at face value, whenever we take Jesus on his own terms, we have to decide. We're given a choice. Hazard ahead. Are you with me? Are you with me? Think of the Classic Christian song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow, no turning back, no turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. You see, Jesus here, in these few short verses, gives us, his followers, two things, if you're taking notes, two things. A reality check and a resurrection cause. Two things, a reality check and a resurrection cause. Notice first the reality check. He said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over the Gentiles, will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. We've already pointed out last week that the disciples really are the first prosperity theologians. We don't think of them that way. But in in a way, they they really are. It wasn't Benny Hinn, it wasn't Jimmy Swaggart, it's not the latest special on on TBN, okay? The disciples really are, in a way, the first prosperity theologians. It's always a, a tendency that lies dormant in the church. Remember, you don't have to go far in scripture to realize the church has never been perfect. Never been perfect. One of our local churches here has their slogan, no perfect people allowed, right? I love that. So true. If you find a perfect church, don't go there. Why? You'll screw it up, okay? I'll screw it up, okay? Never been a perfect church. We know that. Ever since the first century and on down, the 21st century, of course, no exception, we've always had the tendency to cast God or Christianity or the gospel in our image, and the disciples have been doing this again their entire time with Jesus. To them, the kingdom is earthly and prosperous. It's immediately triumphant. It will be full of success and give them prominent roles in Jesus' cabinet. It would be a real who's who of the days successful. And Jesus, here in his reality check, is saying, Not yet. Not yet. Yes, it will be some of those things. Again, his kingdom is triumphant. His kingdom is prosperous, defined a certain way. His kingdom is a real who's who. Again, defined a certain way. We're the children of God. Unbelievable dignity and identity and worth. Yes, but. His kingdom is an everlasting one. One day the glory of the Lord will cover the water, cover the earth as the waters the sea. One day it's true that every tongue will confess and knee will bow and he shall reign forever and ever. We can hear that chorus echo in our minds, but not before the cross. But not before the cross, and never without the cross. And that's what Jesus wants his followers and his speed check and his reality check to see—that here in the beginning, and here, you know, throughout all of Christian history, this is sort of uh, this is baked into the fabric. That's a terrible mixing of metaphors, but you get the idea. It's baked into the fabric of the of Christianity from its starting point to its finish. That the cross always precedes the crown. That death always precedes life. That darkness always precedes the dawn. That is the DNA of Christianity. And we see that here, again, in Jesus' teaching. And we can see then, hopefully, how it is, again, this gospel speed check for us as his travel companions. And this reality check, again, for us as his followers. And hopefully, then, it sets properly our expectations for what it looks like to live for Jesus, then and to follow him, even in today's world. Even in today's world. We don't invite it, nor do we happily look for it, but we have to ask ourselves, why are we shocked, and why are we dismayed, when we then, as Christians, are mocked? Think of the the things Jesus says here. What will happen to him? Mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged, killed, Hopefully we don't get to those last two (laughs) as Christians. But we could. And plenty have. And we've been spared from that in North America. But that's the testimony of many throughout church history. Even today. Even today, again, we don't invite it. We never invite it, nor do we happily look for it. But why are we shocked or dismayed when we as Christians are mocked or shamefully treated or spit upon? Again, whether literally or or figuratively, was not our savior, Christianity's namesake, treated exactly the same? And does he here not predict it and remind his followers that this is the journey That's been signed up for. This is the speed check. This is the hazard ahead alert again. And this is also, in that same vein, the great expectation setter. Again, he's trying to properly orient his followers' expectations for what a life followed after Jesus truly looks like. Because we're told so many different things. And we were told so many different things even then. And there were so many cultural influences that came into the disciples' minds about what the kingdom would look like. And those things had to be deconstructed. They had to be, you know, they had to be backfilled with the proper thinking that only the gospel brings, and we're no different. We import ideas about what the kingdom of God should look like, what Christianity should look like, and we have to be reminded again, no, 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 no. These are the proper expectations of what the Christian life looks like. But without those expectations, what can happen? Disappointment, despair, depression, doubting. I've told you before, I went to uh, Disney World a number of years ago (laughs) with my family and my extended family, um, and I did not accept my expectations properly. I mean, I rolled in there, 4th of July weekend, and man, this is gonna be the happiest place on earth, right? (laughs) And I rolled in there, 4th of July weekend, and shame on me because I actually lived in Central Florida for a, a small part of my childhood. I know Central Florida. and I roll in and it is the hottest place on earth, Okay, 4th of July weekend, no breeze, and it is the most crowded place on earth, Okay, July 4th weekend is literally the busiest time in the whole calendar year for Disney. I think Christmas might be an exception, but it's up there, top three, let's say, okay? And I rolled in there, and man, I was not prepared. My expectations were not properly set. And a couple hours in, it only took a couple hours, I was like that boxer who took like a hard right to the jaw in round one and was just staggering the rest of the fight. You know, was just trying to find his legs and just, it was a disaster, you know. And my wife... God bless her soul, she's downstairs in children's ministry today, okay, so she can't hear this, but we've talked about it plenty of times, she was like, what were you thinking? <laughs> you didn't prepare yourself, you just waltzed in, you, didn't, you had these expectations, what it was going to be, it wasn't, you know, we didn't set them properly, it wasn't a real expectation, and again, joking to some extent, we still had a good time, but but you get the idea, if you don't properly set your expectations, you can be sorely disappointed, or 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 disenfranchised, or whatever it might be. And again, the same is true for us as Christ followers. The pattern set forth by our founder, the reality of our lives, is the way of the cross. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, we don't have to seek one out. For we all are given one in one way or another, and it looks differently for all of us. But we're called in that moment To stand up underneath its weight. And we're called to be faithfully, to have faithful endurance in whatever season or circumstance that He places us. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 puts it this way it's a bit of a lengthy passage, but beautiful. We have this treasure in jars of clay that is us, right? To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Christ's sake, that the life of Jesus also might be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake that his grace extends to more and more people and may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. For the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal. The reality check that Jesus gives both then and now that the kingdom that he builds is built on the foundation of prophetic suffering. It's built on the rejection that the Old Testament predicted about the Son of Man. And unless that rejection and suffering is understood and embraced by his followers, we will not only misunderstand the true nature of the gospel, but we won't then persevere. We won't persevere when such suffering and rejection come our way. And again, that's the story of the church throughout the centuries. That we too, like the disciples, can sometimes fall into thinking that the kingdom that Christ brought was earthly and political. And so then we too grow discouraged or doubtful when those things don't happen. And again, it's not that we don't wish they were more earthly or more political at times. And we, and we labor for certain things. We talked about first care. You know, we labor for pro-life legislation. We, we labor to see Christian principles infiltrate our societies and our classrooms and our, the chambers of politics and all of those kinds of things. And yet when they don't happen sometimes, we don't yet grow discouraged or we don't grow doubtful or despair. Again, because we realize the kingdom that he set up is more than those things. But again, we have to properly set those expectations And that's the reality check, again, that he gives us. But then it moves, and to bring us home, he gives us then this resurrection cause. How, though, then, do we persevere in times like we just described? Well, there's a resurrection cause. Notice how he continues, Jesus, And after flogging him, they will kill him. But on the third day, he will rise. Think of this passage, think of this particular verse even, as Jesus preaching the gospel to Christians. Now, obviously, we know the disciples aren't yet there in terms of full faith. But for us this morning, think of this as Jesus preaching the gospel to Christians. What do I mean by that? We have no problem preaching bad news and good news to those that we perceive to be unbelievers, right? Right? You must understand and embrace the bad news of your sin before you'll ever open yourself up or embrace the good news of salvation. Right? Bad news, good news. We talked last week about how one preacher famously said the trouble isn't getting people saved. It's first getting them lost. Right? We preach the bad news of sin, but the good news of Salvation, But if you think about it, the same rubric applies once we believe. We shouldn't label it bad news per se, but rather we could label it hard news. We must accept the hard news. We must accept the hard news of what the cross-shaped life looks like, of what the sanctified life looks like, the one that is conformed to Jesus. Again, it's a life of hardship and often of trial. It's the life described by Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 4 a minute ago. But just as the sinner who owns their sin then rejoices with the news of grace, we who endure the cross-shaped life and embrace it, upon doing so, rejoice in where it ultimately takes us. That's the point here. And think about how the Apostle Paul said it in 2 Corinthians This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Beyond all comparison. Is Paul there misleading us? Is he underselling it for a minute, the life that we have to endure? Light and momentary affliction. What are you talking about, Paul? Life doesn't feel light at times, does it? It Feels heavy. Feels burdensome. Feels sad feels tragic, even, at times. But Paul can say that because compared to what's coming, it's light. Compared to what's coming, the brokenness of this world feels light compared to the beauty that the gospel is bringing for us for eternity. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, or brothers, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. There is eternal resurrection glory ahead. There is hope after the hazard, life after the darkness, life after death. And if you think about it, there is even a satisfaction that we receive In the life to come, a satisfaction that is ours in eternity, that far outpaces any satisfaction we might seek or find in this earthly life. For as we know, we're far, far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis, who last week we were reminded once said, If I find myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical conclusion is that I was made for another world. Well, that same C.S. Lewis, the same author, who when reflecting on that passage in 2 Corinthians 4, he wrote a book titled The Weight of Glory, which is a phrase, as you notice, directly borrowed from that passage. And he said this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, the satisfaction even that is coming in the life that follows after Christ, in the perseverant life that follows him even through trial, the satisfaction that is ours in eternity will far outpace anything that we think we're missing here and now or anything that we think has been taken from us because of suffering or trial. You see, Jesus and our friend C.S. Lewis both remind us that after darkness again is always the dawn. And Jesus reminds us that when we are rejected by the world and again feel that we're missing out on something, or maybe even because of our trial or our suffering, God's blessing has been taken from us. Has he forgotten us? No. No. The truth is that what is in store for the faithful believer in the presence of god almighty the resurrection life outpaces and outshines anything this world can offer and so what do we do we press on we press on and we press forward for what god has in store for us outpaces anything we can hope for or imagine here again, the Apostle Paul, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that will blow your mind, Paul says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As we close, what Jesus gives us here in this teaching is wisdom, wisdom for our journey after him through this life. Wisdom to not grow weary in doing good. Wisdom to see God's hand of blessing even in our trials. Wisdom to stand up in the name of Christ in the public arena even though ridicule and mocking comes our way. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, "...among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So do not lose heart. He loves you. He's with you. Though the world persecutes you, do not lose heart. For in closing, if we have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things that are above not on the things on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God and when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory let's pray together Our Father, we do thank you for the ministry of your word. Thank you for its power in our lives. Thank you for how it counsels our weak and weary and doubting hearts. And at the same time, convicts us in those places where we need that as well, that we might be bolstered afresh as your followers. Motivated afresh to keep one foot in front of the other as we journey together towards a new heavens and new earth, as we long for the fullness of your kingdom to come. O oh God, strengthen us, we pray, and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen.